Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I've got Dr. Alan Bain, who is a medical doctor with a degree in osteopathic medicine, specializing in internal medicine. He's developed an effective protocol for treating COVID patients and has worked tirelessly during the pandemic to collaborate with other doctors and scientists to provide effective and safe treatments for COVID outside of the vaccine. His website is docintheloop.com. Dr. Alan Bain, hey, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast, man. Thank you. Thank you, sir. We're filming this um, in the later part of 2023. And now we have so much data about the COVID vaccines. We have a ton of data about COVID vaccines now. After you've seen all the data up to this point, what is your conclusion about the various versions of the COVID vaccines? What conclusion have you come to? As it was from the beginning that I didn't trust the uh, uh, an experimental shot, and now it's showing up that um, more and more people have gotten very ill. And that's what I devoted my practice to is people with long COVID and the shot or, or the gene therapy shot injured folks. I even have anecdotally nurses who are on the front line saying, remember when they said this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated? And I would ask, I say, well, how, what percentage of people in your in your intensive care unit are vaccinated versus not? And they would say 50-50. They didn't say that they were all unvaccinated on ventilator. You have one piece of data from Cleveland Clinic. They did a second round of the data that says that the more and more the people become vaccinated, they have a higher chance of even contracting COVID. And they did that in thousands of people in their own medical care workers. And now we're seeing more deaths. They're coming up. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, as you know him, I think, his group just put an article in Lancet and they pulled it off the server 24 hours later because it, it, it flew off the server because of the 74% of mortality based upon the uh, vaccine within a month period. So Speaking of data, it's showing that the vaccine has been very, very not, not, not safe and effective and, in fact, perhaps dangerous in many ways. What the naysayers will say or people who are doubting what you're saying right now, mm-hmm. uh, let's let's talk about that Cleveland Clinic um, yes. study yes. for a moment, because if someone goes and looks that up, you know, the first things that are going to show up in Google is, is fact check sites that say, actually, no, that study didn't show that the more COVID boosters you got, the more likely you were to contract COVID. So how are they able to say that? With half truths. And, and it, it's just so hard. We, you really have to go pick them apart and pick their, their thinking apart very carefully. I'm sure they... They hyper-focused on one area and said, well, you didn't look here. You can't just take a picture. When you look at a picture, just say, well, point your nose that way. You try to look at the whole picture. 
So I can't trust a lot of these fact checkers, nor can I trust some of these data mills. A good example is the Watson study that said 20 million people are, are alive because of the shots, the messenger RNA devices back in 2021. First of all, that was a it was a model, a statistical model. So it's not real world data. And then there was a counter argument, a counter about a year later that says it doesn't match the real world data or the real world setup of how you would interpret the data. So I don't even buy into the 20 million. You're going to see the Watson article in Lancet be quoted a lot. There's a lot of naysayers. And I it's funny you mentioned naysayers, sir, because I was always looking at my genius friends who would say, yeah, 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 look at this, look at this. And then I'd find other people saying equally as smart, saying, no, it's a model. And, and first of all, I think one really smart uh, intern has said that they based that 20 million people saving on a fatality rate that was too low or too high, where it didn't... They didn't match it properly. And that would probably lead to something that looks like big, big saves. And they don't and they don't even say, did you really save them? You know, if they're a younger population, you have to look at it from a population to population standpoint. Recently, just yesterday, Dr. Bhattacharya and Dr. Coldorf uh, and a few others, they were in a chat putting it out there that about the statistics of people who got COVID and are still walking around. Like the people that really, really got sick were the people over, over 65 years old. So if you spread the data, then you could say really horrendous things, but a lot, you know, you, you're, you're playing with numbers. So the numbers game and the statistical sleight of hand speak, the st the, that's how I call it. It's, it's, you can always take data and prove what you think to be true, but yet when you're on the ground and you see your neighbor's neighbor who, who's not far from you get really sick or die, like Nathan, when's the last time you, you, you saw people in your age group, comedians or athletes, you know, die so suddenly? I've been hearing a lot more of it uh, from people who have taken their third or fourth booster shot. So young people, athletic people, there was a very famous bodybuilder. I think he's in his 30s, maybe like late 30s, early 40s. Yes. And, yes. you know, he was talking about it publicly. He had his I think he had gotten his fourth booster. He uh, had his blood checked and uh, he was told that he has those white blood clots in there. Um, and the doctor that knew about this had told him, hey, this is from the vaccines that you got. And literally within days, he he had uh, some kind of heart failure um, and died. I mean, this is a young, healthy bodybuilder who, you know, was doing what he was told, thought he was being a good, you know, steward of being a good citizen, looking out for his health and for the health of others. And here he is, a young person who is not prone to being yes. sick or dying from the virus itself, but gets the shots and then dies. There are thousands. I mean, that's one anecdotal story, but those are there are thousands of those stories. Yes. And you want to tell your viewers to look up the book uh, Cause Unknown by Edward Dowd. I'm going to be going to uh, Texas to 
participated in, in uh, it's actually a lot of music, raising money for the vaccine injured, uh, C-19, uh, C-React. And, you know, we're going to be trying to help the folks that are, are you know, and I'm going to be making T-shirts, actually, of this book I just told you, Cause Unknown, because it's a picture book with data. Edward Dowd is a financial uh, statistician folk. And he's come up with something amazing that that encapsulates what you just said. We could also talk about uh, a famous, I think it's a basketball player that got myocarditis. And then he says, dang, I shouldn't have gotten the shot. And then he's going to train. He needs to go do a stress test and he dies on the stress test. I think it's one of the names in his name is Adamus or something like that. This is what we're fighting against, Nathan, is a is a like a cloud of people just blinding us like just it's like the big elephant in the room that's right in front of your face that your regular doctor is denying, constantly denying or connecting the dots. This is a we're in a very tough time in this world at this time, sir. Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. Com. All right, let's get back to the show. Let's talk about the, the, the severity of COVID as a disease and an infection from this virus that many believe was an engineered bioweapon in the Wuhan yes. Institute of Virology in yes. China, uh, yes. funded by our own um, United States governmental programs, ran by uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And all of the evidence is leading to that being most likely the truth yes. and yes. how it got released intentionally or unintentionally. We don't know. I don't know if we ever will know, but the fact that it was funded and designed through gain of function research to basically what it does infects all of the organs in the body, which there's pretty much no natural virus that I think any virologists know about, or if there's is very, 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 very rare of a virus that infects all over the body because viruses want their host to live so they can replicate, right? And something right. that affects, you know, from the lungs to the heart, it goes through the blood vessels all over the body. It's causing issues everywhere. You know, that's not a sustainable um, program for a virus. And so, you know, there's so many pieces of evidence that lead to a logical conclusion that this was, you know, bioengineered in a laboratory to cause massive harm. And the disease itself for a lot of people is very severe. And some people shake it off like a bad cold. But even according to the data out of the CDC early in the pandemic, you know, the majority of people who are hospitalized and die or have severe COVID are people with four comorbidities, meaning you already have heart disease, you already have cancer, you already have diabetes, you already have autoimmune disease, you already have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you already have a weakened immune system. Boom, the virus hits and now it's severe and it is very severe for a lot of people. But then people are rushed into the hospital and they were put on remdesivir and ventilators, which we were told people were dying from COVID in the hospital 
But what a lot of doctors who I've talked to who have been on the front lines this whole time as well have said, no, they're not dying. A lot of these people who are on ventilators are not dying from COVID. They're dying from the remdesivir and the ventilators. First of all, I'm involved with the group called the former feds group that's looking at the widows and widowers and trying to get them support and even legal support for exactly what you said. The remdesivir, the ventilators, the fact that the governments get subsidized for putting people on ventilators. People talk about that. Yes, remdesivir was a drug that was taken off the shelf because it had a 50% mortality rate with the Ebola. And when they put it back on the shelf, they moved the goalpost. They made the endpoint so it would be successful. Dr. Paul Merrick in his testimonies could vouch for that. So yes, remdesivir, that's true. And the, another thing, you know, you, I don't know if you know my history. In 2021, I went into hospitals and I was allowed to give ivermectin to people on ventilators who already had had remdesivir at least two out of the three, and they were able to be, get help. When you say they were able to get help, what, what happened? Did those people survive? They, yes, and I've written, a, I was asked to write a chapter in a book that's coming out in uh, early next year, or the end of next year, where I, I talk about the three cases of people on ventilators where adding ivermectin was the, was the icing on the cake that helped them get off a ventilator. So that was so, you, yes. said two, you said two out of three people survived or all three? people. No, no, three. All three survived. All three. All three. I mean, that's a great that's a great case study, but it's only three people. Right. No. Well, let me help you with that. I'm not done with the story. You have to look to Dr. Jose Verone in Texas and Dr. Paul Merrick in Virginia. Between the two of them, they were ICU doctors. Between the two of them, adding ivermectin with the steroids and the and uh, anticoagulation and the ventilator, they actually got hundreds of people off ventilators, not just three, hundreds of people off ventilators with the addition of the ivermectin. So no, it's not just three. And in New York, these were private situations because we had a fight. Doc, uh, uh, the Lurigio group who I worked with, the, the legal group, Ralph Lurigio and his associates, they were being hired to get the judge to... Uh, say in favor of trying the ivermectin. So there's four, four to four to eight known saves in the legal world that you would know about. But Dr. Verone and Dr. Merrick were quietly because they were the head of the unit. They were doing miraculous things. We're talking about the really sick of the sick. And then you can go looking at Uttar Pradesh. 240 million people in India. They had the care package. And the care package, that was pre, they didn't, thank God, didn't have to go to the hospital, included in the care package was Tylenol, definitely ivermectin. And there were many saves in certain Hispanic countries and in India from this. These are things that have been kept out of the public. And, and research has been tampered with with respect to the ivermectin and showing, because you have over 70 or 80 studies with good observational trials, randomized trials, showing that ivermectin really is useful as an antiviral, and it's got 19 other utilizations for the body. And I had to go to court and stick up there for that drug based on some very good uh, uh, literature reviews. So 
you know, there's a lot of things that happen that were wrong. Something like simple, like fluids, sir. People, I had patients that didn't want to go to a hospital and they were afraid about remdesivir. Like you said, they said, oh, we're going to die if we go there. You know, they had the right track. I had to write documents saying you should go because you're having problems. I had patients refuse it. I, and I begged them, go back. And they refused it. So I had a scramble for about three or four patients. It's on my website, some of the uh, uh, testimonials. One was the one on the ventilator. Another one was at home who never got there, thank God, to the hospital. And we were giving her fluids, IV, uh, IV, IV fluids, uh, ivermectin, and other things. And sometimes some of the patients that wouldn't go needed to really turn it is Stero uh, IV steroids per the FLCCC protocol. Methylpred is the is the choice. So I had to scramble a lot because people were afraid, and these people are all living, thank God. But they were very scary. But you want to know the key? One of the key things when we keep talking about all these great goodies is fluids, normal saline, simple normal saline. But because of the fear. Some people say it was a conspiracy idea, but the doctors were so afraid to give fluids because they were afraid they would overload the patient. They dried up somebody with the virus. You know, when you go to the ER, sir, that if you have a flu or some type of virus, you need fluids. What's well, the same thing? If you don't have heart failure, you need IV fluids, normal saline. A lot of that was held back out of fear or out of protocol, you know, and, and my, my, my nurse who went into the homes, Kath, Catherine Pagan, she, she says, look at this, Dr. Bain. She, the, the patient needs less oxygen now, and the pulse ox is going up just after a liter of normal saline. So the basics were lost, sir. So the trust in doctors has really gone down the tubes. And I'm here to share the stories, share the basic science discussion, basic clinical ideas, to beg people to to use their common sense and open their eyes to podcasts like yours and others to bust through this because we are losing our faith in our doctors. And there's a lot of ignorance based on fear. There's a lot of people who are owned by their, their, their hospital staff and they can't think and forget the word outside the box. They can't even clinically think. Forget even the word outside the box. Oh, Dr. Bain and these other guys think, and gal doctors think outside the box. No, we're just doing good medicine. Fluid, sir. Fluid, simple, normal sailing. It was like miraculous. I want to go back to that Cleveland Clinic study because what's, what's fascinating about pooling, you know, what we're talking about, what you were just talking about is the, um, the various industries pulling the wool over people's eyes, right? Correct. And that study, they didn't, they weren't doing the study to find out if the more vaccine doses you took uh, made you more likely to be diagnosed with COVID. They were doing the study to try and find out, you know, if you took the bivalent vaccine, the COVID vaccine, would it protect you against the, the variants and so forth? And they did say that that's what they found and improved, I think it was 30% increase improve uh, improval or reduction of, or protection, however they worded it. Um, but what they accidentally found out was that the more doses you took, the more likely you were to be diagnosed with COVID. And 
what all of the so-called fact checkers and, and so forth say is they say, well, that doesn't prove causality. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. And that's a problem, right? Because that study may not prove causality, but it gives a very insightful, you know, it gives a, a very important insight into, hey, we have a data set that shows, and I think it was 50,000 employees of Cleveland Clinic, right? So it's a large number and a pretty accurate data set to say, hey, if you, the more vaccine doses you had, actually, the more likely you are to be diagnosed with COVID. That is worth talking about. It's worth looking further into. It's worth um, doing more research on. But instead of that, what the media does and what the so-called fact checkers do and what the censors do is they say, oh, no, that's it doesn't prove causality. So forget about they try to say, forget about the whole thing, which is which is utter nonsense. And that's what's been happening this entire time. Right. As we have been um, lied to, we have been told certain numbers that aren't totally true. You know, we we saw all the clips early on of of Biden, of Fauci, of the uh, CNN news anchored hosts saying, if you get the vaccine, you will not spread COVID, which turned out to be a complete lie, right? If you get the vaccine, you will not die, which turned out to be a complete lie. You know, if you get the vaccine, you will save grandma and grandpa and so forth. Again, complete lie. These things that we were told, many of us early on who were you know, kind of behind the scenes. And, you know, I was, you're a front frontline doctor working with patients and I had been having lots of conversations with doctors like yourself along the way. And they were all saying to me exactly what you're saying now. And the opposite of what we were being told by the government and the CDC and the WHO and the mainstream media, they were saying, no, number one, these hospitals are not full of COVID patients. When we were getting all these reports, you know, they're like, no, our hospital's empty. They won't let patients come in here because it's all our cancer patients can't come in because it's supposed to be only for COVID patients. Our entire hospital is empty right now. And all of a sudden on mainstream media, it says hospitals full all around the country, you know, COVID deaths, people dying everywhere, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, how many of those hospitals were actually like that? Three, five, seven out of hundreds and thousands right and so there were so many lies and this is this is the thing that is important for us to talk about and and recognize so that we don't fall for all of these lies ever again 100 percent, everything you're saying agreed hey i just want to pause a second and ask you are you enjoying this episode so far are you getting good value from this content if so then i know you're going to absolutely love healing life at healinglife.net you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors experts cancer conquerors and survivors exclusive interviews that i have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online they're only available at healinglife.net so not only do you get access to all of those but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, 
All of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net. And I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. You were part of helping develop a protocol, you know, saving patients' lives. I would hearken back to November of 2020, where Dr. McCullough was my mentor. And I had two people that had to go to a hospital. And he, he gives the whole menu. So I would get on the phone with him, bless his heart. He would answer the phone and say, all right, well, this is, we're here. Okay, we'll add this, subtract that. So I just represent a mixture of three or four protocols. You have Dr. Chetty, who didn't have much, this is South Africa. He would use a lot of antihistamines and and uh, prednisone agents. I don't know that he had a lot of, uh, ivermectin around in South Africa. So he would start at day eight because that's when you know what hits the fan at day eight back in the days of Delta. So I would use some of those ideas. I would use ideas of a great one is Dr. Robert Bartlett, which was the pudesonide, you know, giving actually people will say that their lives were saved when they got uh, air, uh, nebulized pudesonide every two hours in Texas. And then there was a study called the Stoic Trial that showed that it had very, a lot of promise. And then obviously there's the FLCCC. So I would, it's not my personal, I don't have a personal protocol. It's just knowing the physiology, learning the physiology, knowing what needs to be done at the time. So what did you see clinically um, and what, what were kind of the main, you said inhaled budesonide, ivermectin, you know, were you doing well, any high dose vitamin C? Well, um, yeah. All right. Think uh, like, I, what is, what does it look like? What well, depends on the patient you see, cause you can't make generalizations, but one person I, I have, I had him at the house. He didn't want to go to the hospital. He was on high dose oral prednisone. He was on, um, testosterone blockers because that at the time was noted to help a little bit at the time he was on high dose vitamin D right? Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, but he still didn't get better. And so he needed, he needed a nurse to get over there. And it was, it was the thing that really, that I thought was the key for the people just to put them over the edge when they couldn't handle was the IV prednisone, IV methylprednisolone and the, um, uh, IV, um, well, or oral anticoagulation, because you have to understand that COVID is a vascular vi viral infecting thing. It, it, it didn't, that's where the mis mistake was that you have to understand that the, there's a lot of clotting that occurred when it got really bad during the days of the Delta variant, Delta. So the treatments changed because then we went into Omicron, you didn't need the agents. So basically the anticoagulation agents. Basically, if you saw somebody when the oxygen was going down, you really thought of using uh, anticoagulation agents oral. So that's what we did. And sometimes it just still was bad. We needed IV, IV fluids, IV steroids. These are, these are for the tough cases. Now, the for the easier cases at the house, which could turn bad, it was oral, oral prednisone at the right time, ivermectin, hydroxy at the right time, lots of vitamins. Um, and even antihistamines like uh, Pepsid. Pepsid is, is also an antihistamine. So 
Antihistamines anti are very important in this illness to try to utilize. Is that still true to this day, or what are you doing with patients now? Well, now we're in the long COVID era and the shot injured, and we still need to look at this as a histamine problem. So, yeah, histamines are still big on the list, and we have to pick the right antihistamine that's going to do the trick because with long COVID and shot injured or the mixture, people are getting headaches, shortness of breath, tingling, all these things that they're going to need ivermectin sometimes, steroids sometimes. And the big thing now, I have to tell you, is looking for microclots. And so there's two places in the world, one the United States and the one began in South Africa uh, under uh, Dr. Pretorius, who was a PhD, and they've been putting people on triple anticoagulant protocols or antiplatelet anticoagulant protocols because people are not getting better with their long COVID and there's a lot of microclots making a lot of this problem. So we're looking, we're, skir we're skirmishing to look for the right tests, which I have, I'm using Quest Diagnostics for, for hints of the right test to prove microclots. So if you had to say, what's the future hold, it'd be looking for inflammation as we all been doing. It'd be looking for antihistamine continuation and definitely looking for suggestions through blood work and uh, specialized micros microscope work of microclots. So that's going to be uh, a big lion's share of my practice. And the other thing is, take these people that went on treadmills. They Everybody needs to look. Whether you had the virus or you had the shot or both, you have to be looking for vascular issues through looking, finding more advanced techniques for microclots, really small clots that, that, that gunk up the system. Bottom line, that gunk up the system. So it could be gunking up mitochondrial issues maybe or gunking up really small small vascular vessels so we really all all of us doctors need to be thinking that way as well in my opinion based on what i've seen with some of these other experts that have already begun this process now how are they testing today for covid are they still using the pcr test they still are and they're still using the home test too so talk about the pcr test for a moment and I mean, everything that I learned about it really early on in the pandemic is that it is the worst diagnostic test for a virus like a coronavirus and is highly inaccurate um, and overinflates cases. I think you're right. If you're going to do data and just scare, scare the you know what out of everybody, you're right. But if it's positive and you have symptoms that look and act like COVID, you could say maybe. The naysayers say, oh, yeah, you do this, and so everybody's got that, and everybody's positive. But the idea is clinically with symptoms. You, you, you use – I agree with you when it comes to data, but you use what you can. If, it's, if, you don't, if you lose your sense of smell and you're positive, I could say maybe it's valuable, right? But then if you have no symptoms and you're positive with a PCR, I could say, yeah, maybe it's too sensitive. Does that make sense? It's too sensitive. It always comes back to the patient, Nathan. It always comes back, what's the clinical picture along with it? We have people saying that this microclot stuff is a is bullpucky, so to speak, because, well, yeah, you can have a diabetic that has microclots and everybody makes microclots and everybody could be having this. It's, it's you got to match it with the symptoms. Nothing is 100%. And that's when you get statisticians that know how to, uh, and fact checkers that know how to just do a song and dance and sleight of hand. Because they're not doctors on us. I and mean, at the end of the day is what does it what does it look like inside the patient? 
So when you look at data, you get these genius statisticians and they sit there and they think that they can determine what's true, what's not. At the end of the day, it's good observational trials. It's listen to your lieutenant in your private first class on the ground and stop just doing public policy, thinking you could practice medicine with public policy and statisticians. So no wonder there's lying and lying about all of this. They're not on the ground with all of us. Going back to the documents that the, um, I believe it was it was the CDC or the HHS had sent out to the hospitals on counting COVID cases on death certificates, right? right. So talking about overinflation of cases, and actually right. there's a lawsuit that will probably go to Supreme Court that has right. all the evidence to prove um, data manipulation and data fraud to over um, exaggerate and hyper inflate the case count. Um, I just did a great interview with Dr. Henry Ely all about this. His team has been working on this for the last couple of years. And um, like I said, will most likely end up at Supreme Court and uh, looks like they, they have a big chance of winning because they have all the evidence. It shows that, you know, if you cough, if you had a cough or runny nose, a fever, even without a test, you were supposed to be counted as a COVID case. Now, the crazy thing about that to me is you could cough, have a fever, have a runny nose, and it could be a million different things, right? Yes. It could be a viral infection of any thousands of kinds of viruses. It could be a bacterial infection of any kind of thousands of bacteria. It could be um, uh, an, an allergic reaction. It could be any number of thousands of things, but yet you're supposed to be counted as a COVID case. And then, you know, let's say you are sick and you need some help. Well, the problem is, is if you're getting treatments for something that is not necessarily what it actually is. So we have these PCR tests. Let's say you're coughing, take a PCR test. They say you have COVID. Now they're treating you for COVID. In the hospital, there's not they're still not doing anything really effective for COVID, are they? In the day when, you know, you had Delta and Omicron and, well, Delta, let's say, you know, they finally got around to the idea steroids is useful, but they never gave enough, first of all. That was good. I'm trying to be positive right now. Did they have anything good? No, they really didn't, but they still were open to steroids finally. Not enough, not the right one, in my opinion. Uh, anticoagulation, very important. They were they were doing that, but they didn't have the other mixtures like we know ivermectin or hydroxy. They would use the remdesivir, and that's been just useless and, and actually killing people. I'm being too fair, huh? No, they didn't really have much. I'm being over, I'm, you know, they didn't, they really, they didn't give fluids enough. So if I had to just say no, I'd say no because they never gave enough fluids. So I'm going to say you're right. They they really they really didn't basic medical principles. Well, and we know that to for an emergency use authorization yes. to be able to go through, which is how they push these vaccines through so yes. quickly, was yes. the only you know legally the only way you're allowed to to push you know rapidly push you know, experimental vaccines to the public like that is through an EUA. And the only way to get an EUA legally passed is if there's no current effective treatment protocol yes. against that particular disease. 
Yes. Which makes sense of why they were putting down ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. These are very cheap, affordable, easily accessible. You know, I, yes. you know, um, ivermectin, for example, very low, low, low toxicity. It's been around for decades, has been used, you know, won the Nobel Prize, right? Uh, and 2015, is a, yeah. Is a very well-known antiviral, uh, has a very well-known antiviral application. Many doctors were using it successfully yes. with their patients, but if you mention, still today on YouTube, if we mention ivermectin as a treatment for COVID, uh, they will immediately delete the video, immediately. It's still in their policies. So social media giants were brought in to the censorship of this, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter before Elon purchased it. Um, and if you mention any, you know, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, ivermectin, immediately my videos were taken down. Doctors and scientists' videos were taken down. The information couldn't get out to the public to enough people in time for people to realize, hey, I've got alternative options. I don't have to wait for a vaccine. I don't have to deremdesivir in a ventilator. I could try other things preemptively, proactively. Uh, before I get super sick, and if I do get super sick, you know, that was Dr. Peter McCullough. He figured out really early on that, hey, if you use it as a prophylaxis and you, you get on top of this early, he saw like a, what was the number? 99.9% recovery well, rate? Well, I'll give you another thing. You're very research data-driven here. Uh, Hector Carvalho put out a study for his own worker or his own medical staff where they, they gave ivermectin. And a lot of those that did preemptive ivermectin were going into intensive care units and they had less of a sickness uh, incidence. So I want to like highlight the lies that you speak about. I'll give you an example. If I have a test and I, in my doctor's office, you know, Chicago Health and Wellness Alliance, if I have a test that proves X, oh, we have the answer. I took the, I, through my office. We have a test. Now I'm going to treat you. Yeah, but maybe there's a conflict of interest. I'm the one doing the test, right? Chicago Health and Wellness. And then I'm the one giving the answer. Well, look at Pfizer. True or false? Pfizer did its own studies and has the product. Oh, by the way, we have the product too. So from the get-go, well, it's a pandemic. It's a pandemic. And, every, you know, everybody's getting away with everything just because it's a pandemic. So... You know, where's the independent study from Pfizer's shot? Where, Where is that? I want to know. Never was. Then we're going to tell you, remember that 99% effective, the shot? Do you remember that? It was a complete, when you look at that study, you realize it was, it was a complete lie. Like you said, so I, you know, I know you're good at reading these things. Yeah, I studied that way in the beginning, like asking all these experts, because I wanted to know, just like you, the relative risk ratio, the relative risk reduction, you know, was like, with relative, it was 99%. Oh, my God. But the absolute, it was like 0 0.78. So you needed, what, 100 people to get one save out of the vac out of this uh, messenger RNA full vaccine. You needed 20. You needed, it was much more than that. I believe it was something right. like you needed like 22,000 doses right, of worse. vaccine to, okay. get, to get one save. And if you look at the population, then you compare the safety side of it or the death side, then you right. look at the data right. that showed actually, I think it was either three people or five people died of other 
situations, right. heart attacks, myocarditis, etc. The in sham. The yeah. And so, but they never shared that data publicly. They never, nobody ever announced it. All they said was, Hey, it's a hundred percent effective. It's going to stop COVID. It's going to save your life, et cetera, et cetera. But by the way, we got to give 22,000 shots to save one person. And by the way, three, uh, three people out of those 22,000 are all are, are going to die of other things. So actually the real data shows that, uh, for every, um, 22,000 shots, three people are going to die from other, you know, and, and I don't know if those numbers are exactly correct, but it's very close to know. that. It's very close to that. Yeah, because, well, you know, I doctors are not good at statistics. I didn't know about relative risk ratio and absolute. I didn't know. And then I would hear, I think it was a, a PhD, Dr. Campbell, or I think trying to remember who it was. I don't think it was the, ner the, the great nurse, Dr. Campbell, but from UK, but it was another one. But but exactly on the same page we are on that they were making johnson and johnson the fall guy with the clots oh j and j here's the more clots they never looked at the pfizer they like moved the camera so to speak there were just as much or more clot things going on in the var system than than there was with j and j so this is a whole big you know this is all about all about money perhaps all about fear and all about not caring caring about patients Totally not caring about patients and the patients in the middle. And I just want to show people who are watching. These are not nothing here we're talking about is made up. This is all documented. You can see these studies for yourself online. I mean, this is published right in PubMed. You know, the efficacy and effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccine. This is the Johnson Johnson absolute versus relative risk reduction. This is the number. They say 95% relative risk reduction right. for the, I'm sorry, for the Pfizer uh, BioNTech vaccine, um, and the 0.85% absolute relative risk, less than 1%. Right. So, so right. talk about that number for a moment and why that's actually important for people to know, the absolute risk reduction. Again, I'm not a statistician, but that's the key number you have to look at the way you were saying it. You, you've got thousands of people you need to get one save, and it's it, it's horrible, that number. That's the number you have to look at is the point. That's the only thing I can tell you. The relative risk is not the one you look at. The public was told, you know, you have a, you have this basically a 95 to 100% effective rate. That's what they said, right? It's 100% effective is what a lot of people are saying. Then they said it's 99% effective. Then they said it's 95% effective, but that's what everyone was told. Average person is going to think when they hear that is, oh, it's, 100% effective against saving me or my family or preventing transmission, et cetera. And then we were even told that by the mainstream media and the government, uh, you're not going to get COVID. You're not going to spread it when you get the shot. Now the studies are showing, uh, again, correlative studies that need to be researched further, but are very convincing. The more shots you have, the more likely you are to actually contract COVID. Um, and plus, we're seeing all of these, I mean, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths from people, healthy people, generally healthy people after the vaccine are dying. Now, again, we can't say 100 percent their their cause of death was from the vaccine. We have these healthy athletes and they get their third booster shot. And 48 hours later, they die from myocarditis. You no, know, you know, what we have to worry about is how the public sees something obvious like an athlete or 
a young soul dying in their sleep. And it's just, it doesn't register. We have a bigger problem. Why is it not registering? This is a problem. Why do you think that is? It's almost gobsmacking and flummoxing and too deep for me. You know, it's okay. I could just speak in general first that narratives are very well crafted and created by billions of dollars and we've become gullible. We've lost our sense of our, our common sense. We're looking at what people say and believing everything that they say. We're having a, a crisis in critical basic thinking, common sense thinking. And it goes with even politics. You can be nudged in any direction. Somehow the media, okay, let me answer that. What I've just said is somehow the media has access to our emotional system. And, and and it got access to even the geniuses in the emotional system because they're afraid that their mom and dad were going to die or whatever. And they're statisticians. Nobody was thinking correctly. It's almost, you want to talk about a virus. It's a pall on all of the world. It's like a virus of a virus of uh, ignorance, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, a virus of of um, it's almost it's not hypnotic. It spreads too. That's the point. Yeah. The ignorance spreads. Right. The ignorance spreads. It's a you know, and it's Madison Avenue and rich folks taking control, and we're nobody. And we're on the ground, us doctors and other folks. We got to punch through this thing. Um, how do you punch through rich people that keep who, who control the media? We've got to pierce this, man. We've got to pierce it somehow. It's trashing research. It's trashing politicians, good-meaning politicians, well-meaning. It's trashing well-meaning doctors. This money control of the narrative and the airwaves it's trashing all these things that we need it's not only trashing that it's trashing morality it's it's hijacking our morality and goodwill oh you'll save your parents and you'll do the right thing and we know let's go back to data because you're very data driven which is good and you pull me back always that's good the nasal carriage rate of a vaccinated person versus the nasal carriage rate of the virus, I mean, of, a, of, a, of somebody who got COVID, is the same. So it does nothing getting the shot. I have a patient where an older man in his 80s died because he didn't want a shot, and his triple vaccinated great niece brought it home to him. So he's dead because he didn't get vaccinated and wouldn't have made a difference maybe at his age, but because he got sick because of somebody vaccinated. So how many of these people who are vaccinated and maybe it it, it gives some sort of protection, they're spreading it. They're actually the spreaders, not the, just flip it. The unvaccinated aren't the spreaders. The the real spreaders are the ones who feel good and can spread it and they don't know they got it. How about that? Flip it. You can easily make an argument that way. It's true. And the... Biggest problem I saw during the pandemic, I mean, we're still kind of in the pandemic if you we believe if you believe right. the media, if you believe what we're you know, what's being told. I mean people are still getting sick, people are still dying, but we're way beyond anything how it you know, compared to twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, for example. But that was the problem I saw, was this incredible divisiveness. You know, I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, 
very strong, you know, liberal democratic city and state. And our governor was doing everything the California governor was doing, locking everything down, shutting down the schools, literally roping off parks. You couldn't take your children outside in the sunshine to a park. Um, You know, you would get harassed going up to, you know, they were closing off hiking trails in the mountains, the safest, cleanest air places you could be. I mean, just really insane things. You could, you know, you, you, once they kind of opened restaurants again after they were closed for a long time, you had to wear a mask, but that was until you got to your table and then you could take the mask off and be surrounded by everybody without a mask. And then to get up and go to the restroom, literally, if you would go to the restroom without a mask, they would kick you out. I mean, I got kicked out of so many places I wouldn't wear a mask because I saw how ridiculous it was. It's like, yeah, put on a mask, walk to your table, on the table, take it off. You want to go to the restroom, put the mask back on. All the time, you're, you're touching things, you're, you're picking up bacteria, you're picking up viruses, you're touching the mask, you're putting it on the mask, putting it on your face. So like I saw early on, I'm like, I'm going to spread viruses and bacteria more by doing, wearing a mask than not wearing one. Right when a doctor in a hospital environment is doing surgery or something like that and wearing a mask, I mean, you know, hands are washed, gloves are put on, a mask is put on. You know, it's used for that hour. Everything's then thrown away. That's a totally different environment than people wearing masks 24/7. Take them on, off, on, off, on, off. It's we know that it didn't help anything, but we were we were pushed through fear, and yes. we were pushed through misinformation. Yes. to take, you know, actions that actually were worse for us as individuals. And so, you know, I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where this was happening uh, at a very, very extreme rate. And, you know, I knew it's like, I can't, I can't raise my kids in this environment. I can't do it. It's, I'm going to raise them around all this fear and around all this misinformation. And, and you know, they can't go to school. They were out of school for like, a year and a half, they were going to keep the schools closed again. Um, you know, then they were going to start forcing vaccines on the kids when the, you know, kids were not getting seriously sick from COVID and they were not dying from COVID. And then they're going to force vaccinate your children. Like, are you kidding me with this experimental drug that has no long-term safety data? And you're going to force this on our kids who have literally next to 0% chance of death or being seriously sick. Yeah, unfortunately, a couple kids did die here and there, but the, the risk of the shot compared to the risk of the disease was significantly more to have the risk of the shot. And so it's like, why am I going to, why am I going to risk that? Um, and talking about the mind virus, I mean, that's what it is. It's a mind virus of fear. The problem that I saw living in that was exactly the opposite of what you just said, which what you said is 100% true. Vaccinated people have been and are spreading not only the virus, but variants of the virus. We know that. The you know, top virologists and scientists claim that, that the vaccine, you know, uh, vaccinating during a pandemic is going to increase the likelihood of variants being formed out of the vaccination process, right? But we were being told unvaccinated people are the problem. Unvaccinated people are spreading the disease. Unvaccinated people are killing people. And so 
if you walked around without a mask or you weren't vaccinated, you know, you were demonized, you were kicked out of stores, you couldn't do certain things and go on airplanes and go on certain places. And, you know, that kind of mentality is a massive problem for society. This us versus them, this, you know, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys. And what they did is they just pitted us against each other as a society. And Agreed. rather than Agreed. actually look at who the real bad guys are, the pharmaceutical companies that don't care Agreed. about your health, that only care about profits, you know, the, the, the governing bodies, the CDC, WHO, the FDA that are in bed with all these giant corporations and pharma companies and getting their funding from them and owning patents on the vaccines and, you know, have a vested financial interest in the production of these vaccines. You know, all of this collusion, the people who are really doing the bad stuff those are the people that we should be focusing against, but instead they pit us against each other. So while I agree with you that um, actually, yeah, the vaccinated people are spreading it just as the unvaccinated people were, I don't think that's also a solution moving forward, right? I think we have to find a way to come together, to understand each other, to accept each other, to bring this truth and awareness out and help people realize, look, it's not vaccinated or unvaccinated, it's a problem. It's these freaking evil people in power that need to be removed and new systems put in place to prevent Reed, that corruption from ever happening again. You were just uh, you, you keep saying it's it's all about those big companies dividing and conquering us, making us fight amongst each other. And they get to just reap the profits. I'm tired of feeling like an ant that can be stepped on. And that's the way these people look at us. They can step on the doctors, make the doctors give the shots because they want to keep their jobs, everybody with their corporate America, corporatocracy, I call it, corporocratic behavior, corporate autocratic behavior, whatever you want to do. The whole idea of putting together private companies with the WHO, dumping all this money, it's got to stop. You can't be mixing private with public funds. And that's what you see, right? Then you keep seeing over and over again, Nathan, how are we going to, you know, when one person works for the CDC, where he works for the government, then he gets to work for Pfizer. That's got to stop. That's all conflict of interest. Nobody cares about us here on the ground. We're like little ants to be stepped upon, and we need a new system of some sort. I'm not speaking of any anarchistic but we need to take control like you said so i'm on your same page with all this how are we gonna bust through all that just say no everybody's so tired when they go to work they're like waking people up i'm begging everybody to look at the dead folks from the shot to look at the causes i know i'm 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 i am begging dr bain alan bain is begging people to wake up i am begging people to say it doesn't make sense for an athlete to drop dead in their sleep or a young little soul to drop dead. Something doesn't make sense. Congressman, what are you going to do about it? I'm begging you, Congressman. I voted for you. I'm begging you, President. Come on. Do something. Exactly that. Doctors like you speaking up, you know, going against the grain. I mean, risking your own career to speak out like this, right? I mean, how many doctors' licenses were taken away by saying the same things in 2020, 2021, and putting your own career on the line for the greater good? But that's what it takes. It takes all of us 
standing up to these tyrants, speaking the truth, saying, like you said, saying no to things that we don't agree with or feel that are right, um, and protecting our freedom of choice, our medical freedom. Yes, and I want to dovetail into that or, or, or converge into what you just said, the right. So in these court cases, there was this right to try idea, which it was the spirit of that because it's more of a mechanistic idea getting into a, third, a phase three trial. So in court, can we try the right to try ivermectin, the right to try? That's what the last administration did. But I would say, and then we have the, the idea of the right to life, which goes with the abortion idea, okay? This is a little bit of a twist that I've come up with. It's the right to fight for your own life. Why, why, why do we not have the right to fight for what is right? We need the right to fight for something like an off-label drug. We're losing our rights to fight even. So if we lose our rights to fight or to do real science, Nathan, real science is dialogue. So everybody says, follow the science. It's a, ball, a bunch of crap because there's no dialogue. The minute you stop dialogue, you've stopped science. So everybody's going on, even in the administration, follow the science. You follow nothing because that's not science. The science is the dynamic of discussion and testing. So all of that's been flipped on us. That's anti-science, all these mandates and everything. And not allowing us, like you said, the self-determination to make our own decisions with the help of knowledgeable people. So I'm into the right to the right to fight for our lives. That's what we're all about here. We're fighting to stay alive. And you had to actually go to court to present a case to be able to administer ivermectin to those patients who wanted it. Is that right? I was an expert witness for these cases. There were like six or seven. Some we lost, but these three that I won, they're all alive, happy, and home. And, you know, the opposing counsel would ask me questions like, you know, Dr. Bain, don't you realize that the CDC says that, that ivermectin is, is, is not, is, uh, not authorized? And why are you doing this, Dr. Bain? And I would say, well, it's not, and I learned this from a, 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 a great lawyer, it's not unauthorized meaning it's not forbidden, it's off-label, it's absolutely not unauthorized. And then when they, there was another court case where they, they might have lost, it was a CDC or FDA, said, well, we didn't really tell people not to do it. They were like backpedaling. There was one case where I think it might have been Dr. Merrick's case. I'm, I'm, one of the cases where, well, we didn't really tell them not, they were, they were doing some song and dance, sir. And Yes, I had to tell the, the the judge that there is medical reason because ivermectin has 20 different activities and not and it was always argued that well, you know, we're in 10 days, 11 days. It's not antiviral anymore. Yeah, it's not. But it also in the literature shows it can soften the lungs. It could it it has a lot of other activities by slowing down the cytokine storm. All the all the all the histamine response patterns that could kill you. So there were so many activities that this drug did. It's 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 you know, but they had to have their answer with the Paxlovid. They thought that they found the key to Paxlovid. And then they were trashing a simple drug. Yes, I did go to court and I had to stick up for the drug. 
because I believe it's an innocent drug on some levels. People have died from it, but like 0.0000, that's, that's no different than penicillin where maybe four, three to 500 people die per year for anaphylaxis. That never happens in ivermectin, never. So what are we gonna do, take penicillin off the market? Or what about the people that have liver failure when they overdose with Tylenol? You don't see Tylenol taken off the market. You don't see penicillin because it saved billions of lives. Well, so has ivermectin done its fair share after 30 to 40 billion dosages. For the most part, we would say that maybe penicillin, if there's no anaphylaxis, is an innocent drug. I could say the same about ivermectin. So in these court cases, this was the patient, this was one of your, these were your patients? These patients hired the attorney and they knew that I was going to go to court on their behalf with the plaintiff and 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 state their case that, in my opinion, I've seen successes from adding this drug, adding this drug to the regimen. And when I got in on it, three or four people got off ventilators in New York already. They already it's, got off of it. And so these were patients that were already sick and they had to go in and fight for their own choice to be administered ivermectin in the hospital? Is that what happened? Yes, yes. It's not protocol. That, they would put it down. Yes. That's so insane. That's in, it's, yes. it's insane. It's like... The game. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, to whether... And in, 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 I know that doctors were told in hospitals by hospital administrators that if you give ivermectin, you will be fired. Across the country, it was happening. So doctors were scared to. They were seeing... Um, the data and they had ideas about it and they were hearing the lectures from Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Merrick and many of the others as well, but they wouldn't administer it because they weren't Dr. Willing, Corey, Dr. Dr. Pierre Peter Corey, Corey, they weren't willing to lose their, their livelihood and their job. Um, they were afraid, you know, they were afraid. Now, how is that now? Is ivermectin allowed in hospitals now? Can doctors no, no. for COVID? No, Not I don't believe it. I don't know about Tennessee because Tennessee, the governor actually got it passed. Ohio has a, a bill where doctors can prescribe ivermectin hydroxy. Tennessee, I think, finally has that. New Hampshire was looking at that. Those are the three states I know. There might be something more lenient in Oklahoma. Not sure about that, but definitely Tennessee and uh and, and ohio's is is soon or maybe already did pass the ability for doctors to write for it but in the hospitals i'm not convinced that that's happening i don't think that's happening at all yeah, and actually I mean, dr merrick got fired from centegra the hospital because he kept doing his protocol and the powers that be wherever they are that we you know somehow you know he was no longer able to be at that hospital and he saved hundreds of lives when you're punished for saving lives and being a good doctor, when you're punished for not thinking like a doctor, when you're published, when you're punished for doing no harm, what kind of medical system is that? What kind? Tell me. I'm sorry if I'm a little inflamed. So I want to ask you, how did you come to the point in your own decision making process? And when did you come to that point where you said, hey, I need to do something for these patients. I need to find protocol for them. I need to help them. I'm not believing what's being told by all the mainstream organizations. 
when was that point for you and what was your thinking around that? You know, cause a lot of doctors never looked at anything outside of what they were being told by the CDC or the WHO or their own hospital, but you did, and you found a path outside of that where you were saving patients lives using, you know, off label treatments like ivermectin. First of all, I was scared. I was wearing masks in the beginning a lot of masking. I was really scared. And then somehow I was slowly looking at FLCCC. And then I was learning about Hector Carvalho and how you can take ivermectin prophylactically. And I'm like, something's up here. Something's up. And then at the same time, I was watching, actually watching Dr. McCullough in real time being sick with COVID, taking everything possible, including colchicine, which is Another discussion one day where there's a hero in India, Dr. Daryl DeMello. That's another topic. But I'm always looking around. That's my nature. So something happened when I knew that there was another way and ivermectin. And I saw this research with prevention. And I, I just somehow relaxed. And then I was totally telehealth. And as I was totally telehealth, I'm like, well, I don't want to get anybody else sick in my practice. And so I don't need a shot, a messenger RNA device. I don't, what do I need that for? First of all, I, why do I need this? I, I'm like, I, I knew about ivermectin. I knew about vitamin D. And, and to answer your question, sir, I knew I can get, I knew I could get healthy with a simple, this is not a, this is not a flu, but when I was treating myself with the flu, Two things that saved me, got me over the flu fast was high dose vitamin C and probiotics and some C, more D than C. Got me over the flu really fast with body aches, boom, really fast. Had to add a little Motrin, but boom. So I already, I already had that tendency to do nutraceuticals because that's my nature. That's kind of what happened. And then the curiosity occurred with New York. So I called New York, uh, uh, Ralph Lurigio's office in Buffalo. Shout out to them. I'm like, what happened there? Yes, they're off ventilators. Yeah, I was just curious, just curious. And it was easier then because the judges didn't require the doctor to go in and give it. But in Illinois, every judge was like, no, Bain has to go in and that's it. So there's stories there because I didn't want to get my family sick. I was still afraid. And so I I actually went to these three hospitals and and then I didn't go home. I stayed in hotels just to, I was, I, I was isolating, you know, away. I didn't want to get the family sick. I didn't go around people at all. I isolated. I never got sick at all anyway, but so these are the elements and then working with Dr. McCullough and then little by little adding on more, adding on more. And I'm like, and then I started getting people with, with who needed, um, what did he call it? They had early cardiac disease or a virus, a Coxsackie virus, and they needed medical exemptions. And little by little, I, I started getting, trying to help people get exemptions. And so it was like kind of a growing little process, you know, but I, I, I couldn't take the shot. I, even if there was science, so-called science, it, I just couldn't do it. I, even in the beginning when we didn't know, I, I, I couldn't do it. And then I became the unvaccinated doctor. If you know about the, it was written in the Fox News. Fox News I was on, not not with my face, where in the NG case, in case, in October of 2021, they stopped. They stopped the process. They actually stopped it. 
He said, no, no, you can't come in because you're not vaccinated. So they went back to court after the weekend to finally get me in to do the uh, ivermectin. So I was the unvaccinated doctor. And actually, that's the safest place to be, sort of, because in the intensive care unit, everybody's wearing masks. And you kind of worry a little less, really, on some level. But but I was overly careful. But yeah, and 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 a lot of common sense, even regular doctors went out the door because there was an infectious disease doctor that says, oh, my God, there's a fever. There's a fever. It's the ivermectin. I'm like, this is a guy that knows more than me. The guy wound up having, from all the antibiotics, which was legit, a, a gastrointestinal infection called C. difficile that made the big fever. It wasn't the ivermectin. So the thinking got all clouded, even with specialists, not because there was a big cabal, but they just followed, they just, they didn't they like it's bull crap because there's no studies. And it's not true. They never even bothered looking at the studies. Right. I was so involved in early intervention, sir. And I tell everybody in that interview, I called billionaires, not on the phone, emailed. I emailed Carlos Slim. I emailed Bloomberg. I emailed MSNBC to say, you know, hey, Dr. McCullough, you know, I was like quoting Dr. McCullough's work in the early intervention. I did all that. Of course, I never had an answer. I wrote an op-ed in response to somebody who wrote something in the Wall Street Journal under Dr. Ja, you know, where, where, where they were painting a picture as as uh, snake oil salesmen, those people that believed in hydroxychloroquine. I was, I wrote an op-ed because I was so mad. And the Wall Street Journal said, well, thanks, but no thanks. New York Times didn't listen to me, but none of them listened. I didn't appreciate when Dr. Dr. Maddow, remember Dr. Maddow of MSNBC? She conflated horse, horse paste and, and we're putting down people who saved their lives. And, you know, Human ivermectin's been around. It won the Nobel Peace Prize, as you said. It's it, it it fixed river blindness. Merck, it's Merck's drug, and they didn't even support it. Merck didn't even support its own drug that saved lives. All because of money. Right. They don't care. Why should we trust these people? They don't care. And well, and that's that's very well established for anyone who has any doubts about this. I mean, these are criminal organizations, and I'm not saying that lightly. I'm saying, you know, these pharmaceutical companies have the highest fines, criminal fines, billions of dollars of fines that they have paid through criminal court cases from lying on studies. So we say, follow the science. You follow the science. Oh, it's Pfizer's own internal study. And I'm supposed to believe everything about that, right? When they have been caught and charged and criminally fined for lying on previous studies, not sharing accurate data from their studies, hiding uh, data, um, basically data fraud, uh, kickbacks to doctors, you know, illegal kickbacks for promoting um, and putting out drugs, internal memos that proved that they knew their drugs were going to kill people and they put them out anyway and they considered it internally as a cost of doing business look we'll help more people than it'll kill and we'll make this amount of money from it so we'll be okay i mean that's the unfortunate reality of these drug companies and again this isn't me or you saying this this is all documented these are billions of dollars they have uh, had to pay in criminal fines. These are criminal lying organizations 
And yet somehow they come out with the new wonder drug and everybody goes, all right, let me rush to the door and jab it in my body and believe everything you tell me when in fact your main motive as a giant corporation is to make money. And maybe many of the people working there actually think that they're helping people. I believe that. I believe most people working there are trying to do good. But there are certainly people, and this is well documented, who know that they are killing people and are willing to kill people for the money. I mean, look at Vioxx, you know, has killed tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of people that they knew it was going to kill them of heart issues. This was a tax to inhibitor. Yeah. You know, and they, they knew it was going to cause heart issues and never told anybody and knew that. And then, you know, somewhere between 50,000 and 200,000, we don't know exactly how many people died. Tens of thousands of people died. And guess what happens? Well, we're just Drug gets taken off. They get slapped on the wrist. They get a you know $4 billion yes. fine, whatever. And they say, go make some more drugs. Keep doing what you're doing. No problem. They're treating us like ants. We could be stepped on. And, and not only that, could we be stepped on? We got battle fatigue and we're numb. We're so numb. You're, you're not numb. I'm not numb. The people that do these podcasts are numb, but the people out there are numb. And the worst part is if they're numb and the heads of these companies don't care for humanity, but just a buck, they're numb. Except, you know, they need to just look at their children, look at their hearts and see what the future holds for them. It's all about money making them numb. I mean, they can, these people, if they did the right thing morally, they can still make billions. They don't need the act. They could just still do the right thing. Everybody wants to be right, make more money, and not care and love and do the right thing. Everybody cares about their ego and being right. Oh, be here, I'll pound on my chest. Being right. When they make a drug that could kill somebody else's child, we're all reflections of each other. They've lost their benevolent reflectiveness when they look in the mirror. We have a candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, who actually used the metaphor of looking in the mirror. And I've always talked about looking in the mirror. We need to look in the mirror. Whatever side of the aisle you are, I'm a no side. I'm a, I'm a political homeless guy. <laughs> I'm homeless, but politically speaking, but not in terms of humanity. I'm all about patient first. Patient first, life first, the right to fight. But, you know, they all got to look in the mirror. They can make tons of money and they feel good about it when they leave this earth. What about the everyday person? What can they do? I mean, the mothers, the fathers, the, the parents, whether they've been vaccinated and now they're concerned about the long-term effects of it or long COVID. I mean, what, what can people do moving forward to be empowered for their own health and to avoid being taken advantage of by these corporations that really don't care about people. It's up to us, you and me, and you podcast heads of podcasts, and we need to get the word out and, and just, we've got enough social media, we got enough, but it's not going into the mainstream enough. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to answer your question because I, I'm just hoping that people will wake up we need to confront our neighbor and say, look, it's we were all duped. We were all afraid. You must have a friend who's sick from long COVID. The virus you know is coming out, that it's 
not a normal virus because of that furin linkage, as you probably know all about already. It was a created virus. We, we need to talk to our neighbor as much as possible and beg them again to just, just look at it and care. How to help people care, you know? When you have the whole Catholic Church buying into it, we need to go to our synagogues and churches and mo mosques who are on our side. We need to go to the Pope. So I would go to the Pope and I'm saying, I'm begging the Pope right now. Open your heart and your mind. What you thought was right was wrong. You have a flock. You have a lot of power. You care about people. I'm begging the Pope to open his eyes. Please open his heart. Any big religious organization that believed in the shot, I'm asking them, begging them to look at Dr. McCullough and Merrick and all the researchers that have the data. Open your heart and your mind and your common sense. That's what I'm doing because that's kind of the answer. We got to get to the big organizations like that that bought into this. We all were put upon by a virus and it's accomplished the vaccine. Well, and I'd say admit, be humble enough to admit when you're wrong and say, look, we were wrong about this. You know, we are deeply sorry. Here's what we believe now. And I think that's a problem. These big organizations and people in power who have shifted their own understanding about what's going on is they don't want to ever come across as being wrong. And yet that's the most humble and authentic and real and truthful thing you could ever do is say, look, here's what I believed because of what I was told and what I looked at and fear and you name it. But all the new data and information and, and, you know, insight and intuition and science has made me change my mind. And here's now what I believe. And, you know, I'm deeply sorry for being wrong, but here's what we believe now. And, and here's, we need to heal and move forward together. If they did that, if any one of us does that, individuals need to do that. Say, you know what? I'm sorry. The people who, who, who said, you have to get vaccinated. You have to wear a mask. You have to do all this. Or you're going to kill my family, my kids, whatever. You know, you're an evil person. We hate you. Get out of our community. And then those people changed and said, actually, you know, everything I said, I don't believe or agree with now. They need to reconcile that in themselves and with the people that maybe they hurt or turned away, right? Each well, yeah. person listening, tuning in, you can look at, hey, who did you alienate or tell somebody something that you no longer believe? You know, maybe you need to apologize to them. Maybe you need to tell them you were wrong. You know, that's it's one of the most, I think, real signs of wisdom that we can have as a human being and say, look, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You know, here's what I believe now. And it is difficult because people don't like to be wrong. The ego doesn't like to be wrong, but we're not growing if we're not making mistakes. That's right. We, we make mistakes as human beings. We have to acknowledge those mistakes, accept them, learn from them, grow from them, yes. you know, apologize for them, and then move on. Move on and try not to make the same mistake again. I even think our leaders have to ask well, once they learn what we know and see it better, they have to ask for our forgiveness. We voted yeah. for them. Yeah. So, and those people, when you said, I'm sorry, it would be also, hey, I've learned, I thought this, I alienated, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I think the leaders 
and the big corporations need to ask for, you know, we voted for these people and they're taking advantage of us. They work for us. The politicians work for us. Exactly. They do. Well, they're supposed to. They, I mean, they're they supposed work for to. Us. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the best hope we have in politics today, and I, I mean, I never talk about, I rarely talk about politics, but when I see somebody like Bobby Kennedy, you know, RFK running for president, he's, he's the only person in my mind that I see real hope with that could make a big positive difference in our political system and help end the corruption and collusion between our these governing bodies, the CDC, WHO, FDA, and so forth, and big pharma and these giant corporations and the Bill and Melinda Gates Corporation and the WEF, he's, he knows more than anybody what they're doing and what the collusion is and how to and who needs to be removed from their positions and the laws that need to be passed that will actually protect us from it. You know, Trump talked a good game and said he's going to drain the swamp and all that. But in the end, he took money from pharmaceutical companies. He brought on Tony Fauci. He told RFK to, you know, see you later. And it's like he did what every other politician does, um, unfortunately, versus RFK has stood by his, what I've seen for decades, has stood true to his word. And um, if anybody hasn't listened, you know, go listen to his podcast interviews on Joe Rogan, um on you know there's a really good one on um uh geez i've listened to probably five or six of his long form podcasts just go look up bobby kennedy rfk running for president and um you know i think he is real hope right now you know at least well, in our at least in our political sphere he gives well, me a lot I of agree. hope i agree with you about him what i like is he He's well studied. He reads the research. They think he's totally anti-vax. And I don't know why his family is against him or whatever. He's gone to court to protect people. You know, he's very well studied. And then he gets it, it, the, the dishonesty of spinning people's decency. I, I just can't stand, you know, all the things we value. Honesty, integrity, decency, morality. It gets hi hijacked and twisted. Twisted by political stuff or spin all the things we value are being hijacked and that's dangerous yeah i mean he himself has said look i'm not anti-vaccine he's vaccinated with all the normal vaccines you know childhood vaccines his kids are all vaccinated but he sees all the you know health and allergy and autoimmune issues in in his own kids that didn't exist you know 50 60 years ago and yeah. and the studies that he has looked into to yeah know, really correlate this explosion in autoimmune diseases and um you know to to the vaccines themselves and allergies and so forth yeah uh, as well as autism but yeah. he himself says look i am i'm i'm pro vaccine but i'm pro i'm not anti-vaccine i am pro safety study Correct. show me a safety study that's been done on a vaccine you know they do yeah. effectiveness studies but they don't do long-term safety studies he said, all I want to do is see long-term safety studies on vaccines. That's it. And they don't have them and they don't do them. Right. People go, Dr. McCullough has been crying out that for a long time. Yeah. And, the, and all of the, you know, people against him call him an anti-vaccine quack or whatever. It's like, they do have studies. They have double placebo controlled studies. Yeah, they do. Those are short-term effective studies. Those aren't, they're looking at the effectiveness of the vaccine against that particular disease. 
in a short yes. term. They're not looking at the long-term safety. Is it actually killing more people than it's helping? And when they look at the data in the, you know, Africa, the Danish study, for example, that's what they found. It actually killed more children. I think it was the DDP vaccine, uh, if I'm correct, uh, or the diphtheria and, and yeah, that vaccine. Was, you're on the right track. On killed that. more children than it actually saved because it killed them of other diseases right and they and they and they but and they knew that and then uh gates i don't know if it was gates or whoever was, was running that Bill Melinda still Gates kept, foundation yep. they still kept pushing it yeah anyway you know as we wrap up here number one I, I i appreciate your time and appreciate you you know being a doctor who is willing to to stand up against the fear and the yeah. tyranny and speak out number two you know i encourage people to continue doing their own research to continue diving deeper yeah. into these topics yeah and yeah. to, you know, have hope and, and empowerment and find solutions in your own life. You said, you know, you're more inclined towards natural things anyway, yes. and so am I. And I think if you're already care about your health, you know, you're going to yes. look into more natural ways to take care yes. of your health, vitamins and minerals and diet and nutrition yes. and exercise and sauna and good sleep. Yes. And then yes. you don't have to worry about the, that. That was the thing when this thing came along. It's like, well, my family, we're, we live an incredibly holistically healthy life. Right, like, right. I'm not worried about, you know, right. the, the worry for me was like, well, maybe I get COVID and then I spread it to somebody else. So I did have that concern, but I never had the concern about me or my family. It was like, never, ever. It's like, we treat everything naturally, you know, everything naturally. Uh, we haven't, I haven't taken a drug in over 15 years, not even an ibuprofen. And because- You're I incredible. Know, I know that we can take care of our health naturally. And so the more yeah. you realize, you know, you can take care of yourself naturally, the less dependent you become on these drugs and pharmaceuticals and the less likely you are to be, you know, duped into their lies and mass hysteria as well. Cause you're like, Oh, why would I like you? Why do I need the shot? It's like, I'm, I'm fine and I'm going to be fine. I know how to take care of my immune system. It's like, why would I need that shot? You know, and uh, unfortunately, our population is very unhealthy and growing more unhealthy every day. Correct. So if you are unhealthy, look at ways to improve your health naturally and, and get serious about it. Because, you know, I don't think this is ending and I don't think this is the last so-called pandemic either. So, you know, equip yourself with good health as your greatest preventative measure. I mean, that's what I would say. If people want to reach out to you, Dr. Bain, where, where's the best place for them to get in touch with you? Well, the, it's the website, it, you know, the, where they can message and then make appointments, docintheloop.com, D-O-C-in-the-loop.com. Docintheloop.com. Dr. Right. Bain, thank you so much. Appreciate thank you for uh, having me. your time here. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. It's like sort of a, a yin and yang. 
And you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort, it cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression is we have not evolved. There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful what, for what you have achieved.